and welcome back to the greatest song ever sung poorly. It's a karaoke podcast that is the direct result of when boredom meets fandom. I'm your very meticulous karaoke host, Adam Wainwright. And I am your going by the seat of his pants co-host, Ed Kennard. We need someone to fly by the seat of their pants in this episode because you know me, I am very detail-oriented. You know, follow the procedure to a T, right, Ed? I love how you're mocking me for being a stick in the mud who likes to plan everything. Thank you, Adam. <laughs> uh, no problem, Ed. It's what I'm here for. What are friends for if we can't just mock each other a little bit about our meticulous or non-meticulous habits and being stick in the muds or not stick in the muds, you know? Well, I mean, we might get along better. I don't know. I, I guess we get along fine. Yeah, I'd say we get along fine. On a, on a scale of one to ten, I give us a solid seven. It's pretty high. Rating. I think it's it is a high rating. Uh, so, Ed, how are you doing? What are you up to? Anything new? No, I'm still. I, 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 I no real updates since the last episode. I haven't been able to get out and do much of uh, anything except for my regular weekly movie nights um, with my people, which has been. Ooh, fun, anything but... good recently? Well, this month uh, our theme is food movies, okay. uh, cooking movies. And so our friend Matt is a really good cook and has just absolutely been spoiling us with the things that he's making. Uh, he made some uh, cod dish out of Julia Child's cookbook for um, Julia and Julia. And that was just absolutely fantastic. It had cod, it had mussels. It was, it was delightful. Mm. And it makes me embarrassed mm. about my own cooking, which I thought I was a pretty good cook until I started hanging out with Matt. So shout out mm. to Matt for feeding me. Yeah, that sounds solid. Uh, actually, I've been watching movies for one of the classes I'm taking too. So I just... um. Past couple of weeks, I've watched Children of Men. If you remember that film with uh, Clive Owen from back in the day, I do and that one. I just we just watched uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey. Fantastic. Was the assignment. I I don't think I'd ever seen it before. Like I recognize the score because the score is everywhere, but I don't think I've ever actually sat down and watched that movie. I will give you a, a, a recommendation, and anyone who's listening to this, if you ever get a chance uh, and you want to laugh, Google Orchestra Fail or YouTube Orchestra Fail, and you will hear the best worst <laughs> symphony recording of that song I, I i laugh till i almost pee every time i hear it Ooh, maybe i'll work it in right here a quick like a quick clip you know you're gonna have to go and finish the video uh on youtube and it's easily searchable like i found it just by typing in orchestra fail so you can do it dear listener you can find it and watch the complete recording of that yeah 
interesting thing you just heard. Yeah, thanks for bringing that to our attention, Ed. I don't know. Is thank you I, the appropriate term for it? Yes, I mean, absolutely. That's hilarious. I, I love that. I, at least I at least I brought something to the table today, which is, you know, a rarity. You did bring something to the table. So I have to bring something to the table now, I feel. So what I'm going to bring to the table, Ed, is where we left off last episode uh, when we were talking about karaoke competitions and contests. It was uh, we we decided we we're going to start challenging ourselves more on this podcast. And knowing so, you, that means you're you're going to challenge me with something because I didn't I didn't come prepared with anything. Oh, absolutely. Uh huh. You're just going to have to get it next time, Ed, because I definitely have a challenge for you today. So I was listening back to what we recorded last time, and. What I heard was a lot of Ed talking about his great memory, how he got challenged at karaoke for karaoke lyrics, and he did it without looking and stuff like that, which it's one thing to convincingly do a song. It's another thing if you actually know the lyrics. Like, I can, can make people think I've got every word right in a song and just say bullshit sometimes. So, Ed, we're going to find out. I picked three songs. And I'm going to set you up with the beginning and the end. And I want you to fill in what I left out of the middle. And we're going to see if you have more than one word wrong, we'll say. Okay. You're going to get the duck points from your total point score. Can I, can I ask? These are songs I do probably know, right? They're 100% songs you know. Fantastic. In fact, several, several of them are songs you've already uh, bragged about how well you know them. Oh, okay. One of them's not. One of them is something that you definitely know, but I want to, like, we're going to dig into it. Uh, so the way I did this is two of the songs I pulled, Ed talked about knowing them and how well he knew them and bragged about how he did them in a contest and did them in people's faces. So, of course, we're going to have to see if he actually knows them or if he was just very confident okay. about what he was saying. And the other one was I Googled uh, toughest lyrical songs. And oh. this is one of the results that popped up. And it was... Uh, it was one that Ed will definitely know. So where we're going to start is we're going to start with one of the first two. I'm going to say this is probably going to be the easier of the the easiest of the three, or at least in my my opinion, it's going to be the easiest three. So we're going to start with "We Didn't Start the Fire" by Billy Joel. Okay. Okay, Ed. Uh, I'm going to set you up. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the first and the last line, and I want you to fill in in between. If you have to start from there, like start from where I started and go to the end, I'll allow sure. it. Okay. All right. So the beginning of it is birth control, Hoochie Men, Richard Nixon back again. Okay. The last line hold on, hold is on. Now, uh, <laughs> birth control, Hoochie Men, yeah, Richard sure. Nixon back again, Moonshot, yes. Woodstock, yes. Watergate, Punk Rock, Begin, Reagan, Palestine, Terror on the Airline, Ayatollahs in Iran, Russians in Afghanistan, Wheel of Fortune, Sally Ride, Heavy Metal hey, Suicide. We're not looking for you to be an overachiever here. Oh, just being okay. an overachiever. I gave you two. I gave you oh, the first oh, and the last line. You cut me off. I'm sorry. <laughs> we're just looking for one verse. We don't need to like okay. you to sing. We didn't start the fire on here and then get sued by Billy Joel. I don't want to be sued by Billy Joel. I love. No, Billy we only Joel. fight with R. Kelly here. That's true. Okay, so I ended up giving you, I think, a pretty easy verse there. So we set you up. We're going to easing into this. Okay. Um, so the second one we're going to do is is one week by the Bare Naked Ladies. Oh no, I'm not going to do very yeah. well with this one at all. But that's you're fine. not going to do. No, yep, we're gonna no, 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 I, I don't care. It's fine. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll set you up. I'll, I'll give you... Do you want the easier of what I think the easier of the two verses? Just go with whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm letting you pick the easier or the harder one. Just pick easier or harder, Ed. You don't even know I, what verse is which. I'm weak. I'm going easier. Okay, we're going to go easier. Uh, of course, I'm going to give you the fastest parts of these verses, too. Yeah. So... The start of it is, and just go right to the chorus. Uh, the start of it is, like Kurosawa, I make mad films. K, I don't make films, but if I did, I they'd have a samurai. Gonna get a 
set of better clubs, you know, the ones with the tiny nubs. So my arms aren't always flying on the backswing. I get into that. No, I don't have it. Something boom. I was going to get into that. You were kind of all over the place, but I was giving you it because you were in the heart of the thing. The actual lyrics are going to get a set of better clubs, going to find the kind with tiny nubs just so my irons aren't always flying off the backswing. Got to get in tune with Sailor Moon because that cartoon has got the boom anime babes that make me think the wrong thing. Okay. Yeah, that one was so for me. You're one for two. That's not bad. And now is your time to shine once again. I think you have this and I expect you to have it. So we're going to go end of the world as we know it. Okay. And we're going to go with, oh, I'm going to go here because I want to see if you know these names. The other night I drifted, nice continental drift divide, mountain sit in a line, Leonard Bernstein. Leonard Brezhnev, Lenny Bruce, Lester Bangs, birthday party, cheesecake, jelly bean, boom. Give me the last line. It's the thing that happens right before it's the end of the world as we know it. Wow, I just I totally took myself off track by stopping where I thought you wanted me to stop. The other night I drifted nice continental drift divine mountain city in a line Leonard Bernstein Leonard Lenny Bruce and Lester Banks with the cheesecake jelly bean boom. You patriotic symbiotic slam book neck right right. Ooh. Uh, you were perfect until the last line. The last line is you symbiotic patriotic slam butt neck right right. Slam butt neck. I don't even know what that means, Ed, but it's provocative. I, it is provocative. I'm going to give you 1.7 points altogether here out of three. 1.7. 1.7. So you can keep track of the points here. You can come back with the challenge next week. And we'll alternate weeks. But that was a lyrical challenge, Ed. You did pretty good. I mean, it wasn't bad. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm fine with with that with that uh, performance. Yeah, since you came out swinging with the one week, and I hit you with one that uh, was a little caught you a little off guard. So we'll we'll give it to you. Uh, but that was the game. That was the challenge. We'll continue to follow up with that. But let's, uh, I think we're ready to dive in. Are you ready? Have you recovered now, Ed? Are you ready to oh, dive yes. into the heart of the matter? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Ed, what are we talking about this week? Uh, this week is storytelling, Adam, in, in all of its varied forms of karaoke. Ooh, storytelling. Tell me and, more, Ed. And before we get into that, I mean, we have to pay respects. Uh, this episode will air uh, well after the news broke that uh, Biz Marquee died. But one of the uh, one of the best storytellers in hip hop, bar none, not counting his own tracks, but the lyrics that he wrote for other people. I, I, honestly, I'm not super familiar with the lyrics he wrote for other people. Maybe you can expand on that a little bit. But I, I, I will never like one of my favorite songs is uh, just a friend like I, it is like, I, I, you know, I make fun of, I used to make, like, I make fun of the song a little bit because it literally is just describing an everyday thing that happens. Like I make fun of that. Anybody can rap like Bismarck key. If you can just articulate what you're doing in that moment, you can rap like Bismarck key, but nobody did what Bismarck key did in that arena. He never like take mundane things in a mundane story and like really just rap and tell a story with it. So, you know, I make fun of it, but it, it's a tough loss yeah, I mean, for, you it, know, the hip hop community. If, if you think about it, like there's a direct line between what Biz did and somebody today, like um, uh, Little Dicky or whatever, like mm-hmm. Biz had no problem being funny. I mean, my personal favorite Biz Marquee song is called Pick and Boogers. That's <laughs> <laughs> solid. But, <laughs> but um, I mean, just a friend, when it comes to like, storytelling a karaoke i mean that's that's a song that you can you you are telling a story of a moment in time and it's a great performance thing because you can point out you know agatha's agatha jermaine and jack as you're walking around the bar doing it but i mean what what he does is he takes something mundane and he he turns it into something like pretty great not all stories and 
stories that are told have to be, you know, big, epic, sweeping things. Um, but yeah, you know, rest in peace, Biz. It's, uh, it's a shame. Some of the stuff that happens in this country, particularly in regarding the health of black folks due to, you know, systemic racism and yep. the overall horror that is America. Yeah, it, it really is sad. Um, and yeah, like I said, Biz Marquis is going to be missed, uh, you know, in the hip hop community. He, he was, he was that person that could tell a story on the mic. And I, you know, there's, I think most singers and songwriters do that to varying levels of success is tell stories. I think it's at the heart of music in general. Uh, Cause when I think of, when I think of music and I think of storytellers, you know, some of the first people that come to mind are always going to be for me, Bob Dylan's somebody that pops right into my head. Um, the Beatles were fantastic storytellers. Sometimes you didn't understand what story they were telling, but uh, you know, a day in the life is still a track that, you know, resonates with me. I got up, got out of bed, pulled a comb across my head. It's just, you know, and I think there's every artist has moments like that where either if it's literal abstract, I'm talking a literal sense, but a lot of these are very, you know, they get into very abstract stories and things that resonate with people. And they may not be literally telling you this is what happened, but you, you get an understanding of what happened. If you'll, if you'll indulge me for a moment, my absolute favorite story song um, never actually gets around to telling the story. And that's the thing that I love the most about it. It's in, it's um, (laughs) one for my baby. Um, made famous by Frank Sinatra, tells a, tells the bartender throughout the entire song that he's going to tell him a story that's going to break his heart, and he never tells him the story. I love that. I love that. Um, I mean, my my I, I tend to like my storytelling songs with more narrative. One I know that you'll know at least from Johnny Cash's version's "Long Black Veil." Oh yeah, yeah. That's a, oh yeah. I, I really do have a thing for murder ballads. It was uh, who the original artist was what Lefty Frizzle, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Lefty Frizzle was the original artist. That's a that's a good tune. Country music actually uh, really sticks out, and you can you know country music has its own problems in a lot of ways. I think pop country gets a, away from it a little bit, but not too much. And there's an entire problem with the perception of you know women in country music specifically, uh, and what they're reduced to a lot of times in the lack of you know representation in country music. But I think even historically, country music has a lot of uh, stories telling to it and a lot of uh, a lot of emotion tied to it. And you can, you know, trace that back to the history of country music. And, you know, country music was born out of, you know, uh, like spirituals and Christian songs is what most country artists started thinking and it evolved from there. But uh, Johnny Cash is such a good storyteller. Uh, I mean, even in the songs he covered, he always was attracted to songs that told more of a story if you listen to the great american highway albums uh, he's covering a lot of different artists but most of the songs he's covering are are storytelling songs you know like everything from we'll meet again to hurts you know there's there's just these songs that he continues to resonate and is continually attracted to and you can see why because everybody loves a good story now i mean if we're uh, johnny cash we're talking about somebody you've sang a lot so what about have you told a story any given night through karaoke you know, with other people's words and music. I mean, I think, I think half the time when I select a song, a karaoke, that's not randomly pulled from a hat. I'm going to end up telling a story uh, because I sing what resonates with me at that time or that moment. Sometimes it's the crowd, but if I start wandering off on my own, like I I'm always going to come back and be attracted to the songs that, you know, resonate for me for whatever reason. Like if I can bust out some Billy Joel in an evening, I, I love to sing Vienna just because that song's so important to me from when I was younger. And so if I sing Vienna, the audience can tell something about me. And, you you know, I, I think you can tell when a song 
is sung pretty and if it resonates with somebody and they can tell a story through it like for vienna specifically it was you know i was working a lot and dealing with a lot when i was younger and the very first lyrics of that song are you know slow down you crazy child you're so ambitious for a juvenile but if you're so smart then tell me why are you still so afraid and, and things like that can that can resonate and carry with me so i think anytime i step up to the mic a song that i pick there's some kind of storytelling element and i think that goes into being a performer too uh, Ed, what what songs have you told a story with? Did you ever let that the, that kind of side of you show, like when you're at karaoke? I mean, we, we we've we have talked on the podcast before about people using "You Ought to Know" as a breakup song. I mean, for me, it's "In the Wee Small Hours" by Frank Sinatra. Uh, I've sang "You Ought to Know" also in those situations, but the one that's coming to mind most is the last regular karaoke night before the pandemic started and the bleak humor that was being expressed there. Um, I, I know I wasn't the only one doing it. I do remember songs like It's the End of the World as We Know It, um, mm -hmm. It's the End of the World, Skeeter Davis, a lot of stuff like that, Eve of Destruction, Barry Maguire, like a lot of stuff like that was sung that final night before like everything shut down. And I, I, I remember the story of that night rather well. So do you think karaoke, uh, do you think every karaoke night has a story of the night? I don't think so, no. I think, I think some do. And the thing is, we're, we're, we're human beings, we're people, and in retrospect, we might try to thread a narrative together of something just because it's how our brains work and we want a story and we want things to follow in some kind of sequence that makes sense to us. Or sometimes we'll put meaning onto a sequence that otherwise doesn't really have one. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um the other question I would have for you, Ed, specifically, because you do have a good memory for these things. Thank you. Have you we know we're talking about like ourselves right now. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. I've noticed uh, we're, we're talking about these things from our own personal perspectives. Um, do you have any kind of memory of, you know, we'll like go into karaoke and witnessing somebody who is clearly expressing something that it moved you and captured your attention? I'm going to go back to the breakups. I mean, whenever you see that, when you see somebody working through something like that, not just working through it personally, but working through it very publicly and um, getting applause for it, you know, um, that's just a great thing to see or to see somebody, you know, singing a song for someone who's died or to see someone singing a song because their baby's just been born. I mean, there's so, there's so much stuff like where, where the context provides the story it's a short story it's you know it's 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 a uh it's, it's micro fiction but it's it can be very powerful yeah it can definitely be very powerful and you know all those moments i think major milestone moments where people are going to karaoke to celebrate or mourn or recover or express angst or anger or distress. Uh, I think those are the moments that produce those kind of songs where all of a sudden things take a little bit deeper meaning than they normally do. And I think there's a couple of those at every karaoke night, honestly, I really, really do. Uh, I think there's always a person there that's looking to express themselves or express some kind of emotion. Uh, who's your favorite storytelling artist? Like if you had to select a musical artist, uh, I know you, you talk a lot about some artists specifically. I know you, you love Frank Sinatra. I know you love um, Frank Turner. You just love all the Franks basically. Frank Turner definitely. Cause he does like in my head, the storytelling is the person writing the song and he writes the solid majority of his own stuff. Whereas uh, Frank Sinatra obviously didn't write any of his own uh, music. That, that would be the one that I would go with, I guess, uh, for the most part. Um, 
other ones. Oh. Well, what is it about Frank Turner that that makes him such a a stellar storyteller? Like, what are what are the characteristics of what he does that makes him stand out in your head? I think you would just have to listen to the stuff. Um, there's there's an odd poetry to it, and when I say that, um, I mean there there is a question of if song lyrics are poetry. If they're not, and then like what is poetry? It can be kind of pompous if it's you know. I mean, we could have it. We could have an entire right. episode of what um, is poetry, but this isn't a poetry but, yeah, podcast. But, this, but um, there there are certain specificities of the stories that he tells that you know really anchor it as a story, and you know it's coming from something. Um, I mean, lots of artists do that. Um, that's that's the chief one that pops to my mind right now. I mean, a lot of the music I listen to, it's uh, not the person performing is not necessarily the person who wrote it, which kind of yeah. strips some of that out. I mean, most pop songs today, you know, are not written by the people who perform them. Unless you're Taylor Swift. Shout out Taylor Swift. Shout out to T-Swizzle. Um, actually, I really think she's a pretty good songwriter, too. Uh, I think she's a bro. I, listen, we can Can we just take a minute right here? Let's pause. Let's pause our serious tone. Taylor Swift is somebody that I am amazed by. Like, she started with, what it was, it, Romeo and Juliet as a country pop artist and has become this gigantic this gigantic personality that so continually delivers not only great quality music, but stuff she's writing and producing and fully involved with. And she's evolved with the times and, you know, accurately, you want to talk about storytelling. You can go through Taylor Swift's catalog and know exactly where she was in that moment from like the sound of her music and from the lyrics of her music. Like, you know where Taylor Swift is in her life through her music because she communicates that so, so, so well and just about every aspect. So I just want to take a moment and recognize that Taylor Swift is an artist that grown on me and I just, she she just amazes me. She really is. She says she's an amazing storyteller. If we're talking about storytellers, like Taylor Swift should be noted as one of the best storytellers in music. I'm sorry, Ed. I interrupted. No, I just wanted to. I, I like to watch you a few as positively about anything. What about you? Uh, whose storytelling in their music do you really uh, connect with? Uh, I mean, there's a bunch of different artists that I'm really like for f that resonates for with me for uh, for different reasons. I really like. I, I think Connor Oberst is a really good storyteller who's uh, responsible for Bright Eyes. Uh, there's an out al his album I'm Wide Awake It's Morning is one of my favorite albums of all time. And I think it's because if you listen to it from top to bottom, it's just him telling different stories in different ways. And there's there's realness, but yet it's abstract too. And just the sound in which he does it, it it's not like like the music's really present and pretty, but it's a lot of lyrical, like very lyrically. I, I mean, Connor Oberst in many levels has always been compared to Bob Dylan in some level for the way he writes songs as far as, because when Bob Dylan was doing his thing, he was considered a poet and he would write poetry that was put to music. Uh, and you, you can debate that for what it is, you know? So uh, I'd say Connor Oberst, but you know, there's a lot of different artists that I think do really spectacular things with, writing really meaningful songs and from any point in history, that's just tough to narrow down. I mean, some of my favorite songs, if we're going to go into like individual things, like I have to, you know, mention Sam Cooke, you know, a change is going to come by Sam Cooke is probably in my top five songs of all time. And it's because of the way he tells that story specifically, just everything about it, the lyrics and Sam Cooke has it's one of my favorite voices of all time because everything he sang was so rich and pitch perfect. 
but yet so emotionally deep that you could hear like every break in his voice, every syllable. And you just felt like as he was this telling the story, your heart is right there with him. And to make something like that translate through the stage is, is something spectacular. It's just something that you can be entertained. You can listen to somebody. You can acknowledge how great a lyric is. You can, you know, uh, listen to how great a song is put together and an artist and what they're doing. But it's very rare that you emotionally grab on to somebody's voice through the thing. Uh, Otis Redding also did it, I think, better than anybody as far as like emotionally grabbing people with the stories he was telling. Do you have a favorite genre of music? Do you think there's a genre that does it better than any others? If you ask me, I mean, it's it's... <laughs> It's the dating profile that uh, likes all music, but these two types, it's hip hop and country. I mean, to, to me, those are the two chief storytelling genres in American popular music. Um, that, that said, I mean, there's their story in rock, their story in folk, their story in pop. But uh, when it comes to telling a storytelling and narrative, you're going to find it in hip hop and country. Yeah, let's talk about hip hop for a little. And, and I'm going to kind of set you up and I want you to talk about this specifically. If I were to guess, and I think we'd be on the same page with this, my opinion is that hip hop storytelling and hip hop is probably one of the most important things that has come out of the past, you know, what are we at? Like 50 years of hip hop now, uh, just about. So I think hip hop storytelling is vastly important for so many reasons. Uh, do you agree with that? And can you expand on that if you do agree? I mean, of course I agree with that. I mean, the stories told, I mean, again, some of them are very mundane, like the uh, Just a Friend story that we that we talked about earlier. Some of them are very specific to certain um, genres and locations and time periods. I mean, I, I'm thinking of Ice-T specifically with Six in the Morning um, or biggie and warning it's not the most crucial element if you ask me but I, you shouldn't ask me i'm not i'm not the the real expert on that but I, I do think it's a very important part of what made hip-hop hip-hop the same way that i would probably ask you if you think that's an important part of what made country country because you know that's one i can't super speak to that well yeah it, it well it is what made country country um I think they're important for different reasons. I think country just picked up and they told stories that a, a strong majority of people in America could easily identifiable with in a very clear, clear way, you know, whether it was through the roots of Christianity, through the storytelling, through the outlaw nature that you kind of get out of a lot of countries that evolved throughout history. Uh, it, it was something that's consistently evolved and told stories. I think hip hop is super important because it tells the story of a marginalized people and the struggles that they experience, you know, for somebody that's a, a white suburban kid like me, uh, not being exposed, really exposed to hip hop for 20 some years of my life. And, you know, where I grew up, there was, you know, like we had, I went to a Catholic high school. So we, you know, we had three black students at the Catholic high school and that was our diversity. So I, I didn't know, the struggles, you know, was through education, through hearing stories and like hip hop to a certain extent that really started to open my eyes to, you know, the problems that exist in America, the institutionalized racism that's still present in America. And so I think, you know, hip hop for me has been, you know, not the end all be all because some of it's commercialism and some of these stories are told in order to paint a very specific facade and sell records. But there's a lot of truth that can be garnered from listening to, um, to listening to different stories of hip hop, you know, listening to, you know, Common or Talib Kweli or Lupe Fiasco or Mortal Technique, you know, some of these tell very real stories that, 
you know, tell like, give me insights on the things that I just don't know about because of, you know, my background and upbringing and, you know, allows me to try to be a better ally. Uh, so I think that's why hip hop's important to me. And like I said, they're just different for different reasons. And I know, I know like I, there, there's going to be kickback and you can have the same discussion with hip hop or with rock and roll. You can have it with, you know, hardcore punk told a very specific story with punk rock, like any pop, like any genre of music you can name that there's going to be some kind of storytelling element. And we're just talking about those two because, you know, they, they resonate with us for different reasons. Uh, do you have anything to add to that, Ed? No, I just, everyone's got a story. Uh, so, you know, find your, your story and express it. However it is that you choose to. Yeah. We prefer if you express it through karaoke, like we liked, if you do that, what are your thought, final thoughts on like storytelling at karaoke specifically, Ed? No, I think every night has a story, whether it's karaoke or otherwise is just a question of how you want to frame it and uh, how you want that story to progress. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, the biggest thing I can say is just go out and be part of the story, get out and do karaoke, create memories, um, get up there and do it because I think those memories and stories, like even if it goes badly and it's something you remember forever, um, it's going to be a story you're going to be able to go and tell later. Uh, and I know that these type of stories kind of stick with you and you're something you're going to be able to look back on and, you know, maybe, maybe you'll become a professional storyteller one day. Uh, Speaking speaking of which, I think I think we need to introduce a professional storyteller. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree. I think we've prattled on far too long. We did prattle on far too long, and I hope you enjoyed listening to it. But right now, you know, we're gonna kind of stop talking to a certain extent and turn it over to today's guest, who is a professional storyteller and just rad as hell. So go ahead and cue the guitar. There's a good chance you're more familiar with our guest than you are with either of us. Uh, either from the movies she's appeared in as an author, a playwright, a faceless old woman, a cat lover, a prolific Twitter user, and oh so much more. Lucky for us, she's also karaoke people. Welcome to the greatest song ever sung poorly, Mara Wilson. Mara, how are you today? Thank you so much for doing this. I'm doing very well. I'm Right now I'm watching my cats act like idiots, uh, which they do. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. That's the best part about having cats. They are, they're ceaseless entertainment how many yeah, are you exactly. up to now um three so one is my sister's cat and uh and uh, one is my cat that i've had since i lived in new york so probably about let's see seven years now six years now and um one of my cats that i had for a long time passed away recently which was oh. really unfortunate and uh, a few months later we got a cat uh who was a street cat and she is out of her mind and uh, <laughs> she's very cute and very energetic, and she's the funniest little thing. And her name is Freya, and uh, she does not ever let us forget that she is a goddess. Street cats are the best cats. Uh, yes. Significant portion of mine are street cats. Yeah, I mean, she was a. She even had like the ear tipped and everything. Like she was, she was a street cat from South Central LA. But then she started getting a little too friendly with people and uh, needed needed people <laughs> to take care of her so uh and and now she's yeah and now she is she is attempting to eviscerate a um toy mouse uh <laughs> she's wild she's absolutely wild and she has these giant paws and will hit you in the face with them i i love it that's like my my mom's very uh very much does this too where like any cats will come up to the porch and be friendly and next thing you know they're part of the family and then they work their way in the house one day and then they never leave yeah exactly the, the woman that we got one of my my sister's cat through was like uh 
was like, you guys really need to, uh, she, she's, she's kind of this eccentric woman who works at one of the pet stores and we didn't get the cat from there, but she fosters cats sometimes. And she was like, there's this really sweet girl there who is, she's sweet and she's wild, but she's been coming into my house. And I think that she needs a home because she's little and we don't know what the other cats will, you know, will do to her. And, uh, so we ended up taking her home and yeah, she is, she is very sweet, but she's also very wild. Yeah. Right now she's trying to get a feather out of her mouth. Um, <laughs> oh, the struggles of cats cute. sometimes. It, yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, so Mara, we brought you on today because our episode topic, uh, is about storytelling and you are mm-hmm. a professional storyteller. And I'm very curious yes. what, what does professional storytelling, like, how would you define what a professional storyteller is? I mean, uh, for, for me, it's kind of taken many forms. And I think that my definition of it has kind of gotten looser in the past few years. Like uh, in the past few years, I've done a lot of speaking engagements where I was giving speeches. And that feels a little bit to me like storytelling, but not always, not quite. You kind of get in the same mindset and personality with it. But I, I mean, I think storytelling is like a really rudimentary thing. I think that it is, you know, one of the oldest human art forms there is, just like sitting around a campfire telling stories. So, uh, and that was something that like, I always loved to do. I always loved making up stories from a very young age. And like at Girl Scout camp, I would, <laughs> I would like make up stories or I would tell stories that I, I would try to recount stories that I'd read, you know, in, in that kind of way. And professional storytelling, I mean, unfortunately, there's not as much of a scene now that I'm back in LA, there's more of a scene in New York. But the thing about storytelling is the more specific you get, the more universal it is. So it's kind of trying to find these, you know, commonalities in all our lives by saying very specific things. One thing that uh, like, like an example that I that I'll bring up is like my step family is from the Philippines. And they all really love my big fat Greek wedding, even though none of them are Greek. <laughs> and I've actually met people who are like, Oh, yeah, my family's Jamaican, and they love my big fat Greek wedding, you know, my family's Armenian, and they love my big fat Greek wedding, my you know, my family's Nigerian, and they love my, my, my big fat Greek wedding. And it's just because it all appeals to I think, the story of feeling like you're a little bit on the outside in America. And so I, I think that that's, that's, you know, even though it's very specific, it's also very general. For me, it's also very much about connection with an audience. I think there's a lot of people, you know, in standups, you kind of see this. And I don't think this is much of a, a phase anymore, but I definitely think this was like a thing when I was coming, when I was growing up, was uh, like people who really like to shock and horrify their audiences and uh and it's kind of like to what end you know what are you trying to get them to to say or to think or to believe for me i feel like when i have an audience it feels very warm and it feels sometimes it feels almost like flirting and uh at flirting when it's going well you know and and you're 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 joking with them and and so for me it's really kind of about that connection with the audience and and bringing the audience in and it's it's a really cool feeling to be able to to be able to do that I don't know. I have I have a lot of fun with it. Uh, I wish I could do it more. Obviously, with COVID, that's been kind of hard. <laughs> it's something that I really love, and it's something that uh, I really miss. Now, let me ask you this. Like, when you're on stage at something like a risk show in New York, does that feel different than being on stage in front of people doing karaoke for you? Uh, that is a very good question. I think... In some ways it does, because I often feel like when I'm doing karaoke that I'm kind of playing a character. Like somebody, a lot of times with karaoke, I think you're somebody cooler or sexier than you actually are, depending on your song choice. And and it, it I think it depends on the song. Sometimes if you really feel like it's uh, like it's a part of you, 
you know, when you're performing, but it also depends on whether the audience is your friends or if it's total strangers. Do you perform differently uh, depending on who the crowd is at karaoke or do you inhabit the karaoke? Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. Okay. Definitely. Like I have, um, I have some friends who, uh, who take it very seriously and they will do really, really big, important, you know, like really big, impressive songs. And then I have some friends who it's just all about fun and uh, and it's it's kind of about just playing really fun music. And then there's the ones who just uh, who, you know, there's the times you just don't care. And then there's the times that you that you do. And uh, and you really have to judge the atmosphere of a karaoke room very, very quickly. And I've seen people misjudge it. And oh, it does not go well when that happens. Ed and I have definitely seen that. And you're right. It does not go well. I mean, you know, we're we got our start, especially in Western Pennsylvania at these little tiny Ooh, dive yeah. bars where, um, you know, there are certain songs that don't go over so well in certain places. So it's just yes. really reading the audience. Yeah, we're we're definitely important. I, I also know that, um, you know, one of the facts that kind of came up here is that you did karaoke in Japan when you were a kid. Oh, I did. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I did. It was in... Um... So I had a weird childhood. <laughs> and, uh, but, but yeah, karaoke to... To Japan, like to, to Japan. I mean, karaoke. It it is uh, it is a it, it is an art form, and it is completely different. And we were in a private room, but we all just let loose. And I mean, it must have been booked, but for us by Twentieth Century Fox. I remember singing "When You Wish Upon a Star" in this like mock prof- basso profundo voice. And the interesting thing was, we didn't choose the music. I don't think like maybe we had some influence, but mostly it was just putting on songs. Like I remember my mom getting mad because they they put on we're an american band um which is not appropriate for children um god bless sweet connie though sweet connie you keep doing what you're doing you keep living your life i i think you're awesome you know a bit explicit for you know a seven-year-old to hear about we joked our way through it but it was so extravagant and and i mean i think i'm a really big fan of uh truth through over the topness you know and, and truth through a spectacle because I'm a painfully sincere person. I really am. And I think I hid that for a long time behind, behind like a thin veneer of like cynicism and sarcasm. But once I like got in my, probably like my mid twenties, I was like, I can't really do that anymore. I'm just going to embrace the fact that I'm a total tryhard. And you know, I'm, I'm sort of like a Martin Prince. And and I, I was like, I just have to kind of, I just kind of have to accept that about myself and be real. Uh, and for me, like I've always loved musical theater. And like, I've, I've always loved that. And musical theater is the essence of being, you know, over the top and, and such. But, but truth being told through that, the whole point with musical theater is you sing or you dance sometimes because you, you cannot do anything else. Your, your emotions are just too much for you. You cannot do anything else. Um, I feel like you see this also a bit in wrestling. Like, I don't know that much about wrestling, but every time, but I've been to wrestling matches and I've watched wrestling and every time I've loved it because... It's none of it's real, but it's all real. <laughs> and it's all soap opera and stuff. And it's so much fun. And and so that's the thing. And I mean, I've always loved movies. I've always loved musical theater. Uh, you know, wrestling is super fun. And I think karaoke is kind of the same way. Uh, it's a it's a very vulnerable thing. And, and you're embracing, you know, your your, you know, ridiculousness. And uh, and, and that's really what I like about it. Yeah. One of the things I've always said is that if everyone's afraid of public speaking, um, they must be terrified of public singing. Yeah. Um, now you did a lot of show choir stuff growing up too, so I'm assuming that you sing pretty well. Um, you know, um, we've never done karaoke together, 
Is that an important part of doing karaoke for you? It really depends on the group. Like sometimes I'll go to one and I'll be like, oh, I'm probably one of the better singers here. And then other times I go there and I'm like, oh, I'm definitely one of the worst singers there. Yeah, you know, like every now and then, like sometimes I'll go, I'll do karaoke with my friend Devin and Devin also was in choir. I don't know if she was in show choir, but I, I always forget that she has like a really good voice and that she knew all the choir things I did. So we'll sing and I'm just like, oh, wow, Devin is better at me than karaoke because she's a great singer. And once I did a karaoke with my friend Jenny, who's also a big musical theater fan, Jenny Jaffe, and uh, we did one once and somebody came up and she was like, I'm gonna dedicate this song to Jenny. And she sang a Kristen Chenoweth song. Ooh. Now, Kristen Chenoweth, if you don't know who she is, um, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, we share a birthday and I love that. Um, third of all, uh, she is a musical theater genius. She also does a lot of like Brian Fuller stuff. So she's very over the top. She dated Aaron Sorkin for a long time, which is kind of a weird mix, but, uh, she sings, she has this, this amazing, adorable, bubbly soprano voice, and she's just gorgeous with it. And it's, and she released an album, you know, probably 10, 15 years ago that was just her singing musical theater-esque songs and like cabaret kind of, but not really, um, but none of them were like from musicals. And there's one where it's just, it's just complete showing off, you know, it's just, it's just showing off with your voice, like a ridiculous amount. And this girl came in and she sang this song and she, she sang the song that's just showing off with your voice. And like, it was awesome, but also uncomfortable because I feel like she probably made the rest of the people in the room feel kind of bad. I know she made me feel kind of bad. And part of me was like, wow, you're really amazing. I didn't know you could do that. That's so cool. But the other half of me was like, dude, we're all just like middling singers here. Like none of the people, like the actors in this room are actors who can sing, not singers, you know? And and that's kind of the, what I fell under for a long time. Like I could, I could sing and I could kind of sell a song. But uh, but I wasn't like an expert singer. I feel like I probably could be if I went back to doing singing lessons and such. Like I took singing lessons for a long time. And so I, I feel like I probably could be a good singer. I don't think I would ever be, you know, a, a Streisand or a Chenoweth or an Audra McDonald or, uh, you know, a Joni Mitchell or anybody or Beyonce. But like, I feel like I could be I could be like a pretty decent singer if I actually worked on it, but uh, I haven't worked on it. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't get many solos in, uh, in choir and I didn't really stand out. It's also probably because I was a younger, I was younger, but I do, I do remember my choir director saying, she was like, you do have a lovely voice. So uh, um, sometimes when I sing, people are like, wow, I didn't know you could sing. You're really good. And sometimes when I sing, people are like, okay. <laughs> that's that's always the, I feel like that's always the mixed reaction that comes along with it now for you personally would you rather be in a room with somebody that can show off their voice like Kristen Chenoweth who I I like just the fact that anybody can do that uh, boggles my mind just a little bit yeah. or would you prefer to go to like see those people on karaoke that can't sing a lick but are so committed to what they're doing that it's just you have to watch which one would you prefer over the course of a like a karaoke evening I think I would prefer the second because I think that the, you can really, uh, it, it, I think that's more fun. I, I, I do think that, I think that also, I mean, I know like people like, um, like I, I know like Mindy Kaling has said that when you do karaoke, you're kind of choosing to be the DJ for the room for, and, and, and I kind of agree with that. So I think that, I think that generally with karaoke, you should try to stick to songs that people know. There are even songs or, or songs that they probably will know. I think that if you choose a song that nobody's ever heard of, it's, um, that can be, that can be kind of weird unless you, unless you do it very, very well and you, you sell it in a way. But yeah, I, I think that if you, if you sing, it, it also really depends. 
It depends on the place where you are. There used to be a place called the Motown Cafe, which I think was like probably like a Planet Hollywood type thing, you know, but I remember going to one and seeing people do karaoke and it was all like, and this was probably like in the 90s. So it was all like these like black boomers who'd been raised on like Motown and Soul, which in my opinion is some of the best music ever created. And they all went up and they all could sing and they all were fantastic. Just fantastic. And I remember people being like, hey, Mari, do you want to do karaoke? I was like, no. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a 10-year-old white girl. I, I know these songs, but I would murder them, you know, like let them let them have it. And and so I think that can be good, too. But it but it all really depends on the room. Yeah, you're going to get no argument from Ed or I about uh, the 90s R&B being some of the best music that's ever been made. None. Well, maybe mm-hmm. 60s and 70s. Oh, yeah. 60s and 70s. I mean, any, any kind of R&B, you know, but people were going up there and like, like, imagine seeing somebody do, you know, Aretha Franklin's respect and actually giving it the proper respect it deserves and, and doing it very well. Like, chills, right? Yeah, I got chills right now. Like Exactly. Exactly. Just uh, just, just amazing. Throughout the pandemic, um, did you miss karaoke? Did you find any good ways to cope? I did. I did. I mean, a lot of it has just been, you know, singing in my apartment and, like, singing with my sister like one thing I noticed when a couple years back, when I moved back to LA and I'm originally from LA, I, I found that especially on days where it was like a little rainy or a little cold, I would walk down the street and I could sing to myself and nobody would hear because there aren't as many pedestrians in LA. <laughs> so that's kind of one thing I would do is I would, I would, you know, go on walks by myself. And if there wasn't anybody around, I would kind of sing to myself. And, and that was really nice. Uh, that was, that was definitely nice, but I've, I've talked to friends recently and I've been like, man, we're all vaccinated. Is there anywhere we can go and do karaoke? You know, I, I, you know, can we do it outside somewhere? Uh, what can we do? And I actually do know that there is a place outside. There used to be a place, uh, outside in, in little Tokyo in downtown LA. And that is where I saw one of the most hilarious karaoke experience. I had one of the most hilarious karaoke experiences of my life. Uh, if you would like me to share that oh, with you. We absolutely yep. would like you to share that with us. Yes, so, please. This was not my experience at all, but we were there, I think, on a Friday night, and they had Friday night karaoke. And we went into, and, and we we saw this guy there who was like, one of those guys who's like, he's probably like 19, but you can't really tell. Like, he, he seemed like kind of a nerdy teenager. And he just got up and started going, let the bodies hit the floor, let the bodies hit the floor, let the bodies hit the floor. And then eventually the bodies, the floor, and just yelling so loud that everybody could hear him. And, and we were, we were laughing and he knew he was entertaining everybody, but like, we were just like, I never thought to do that song karaoke. And I remember we went into the, uh, we went into like this beauty shop where, you know, they have all the all the face masks and everything. And we went in there and uh, we were talking to the woman behind the counter and he, uh, he, he, you know, we heard him yelling floor really loudly. And uh, my sister said, uh, said to the woman behind the counter, like, Oh, are you enjoying this performance? You know, is this a little weird for you or something? And she goes, no, it's okay. He does it every Friday. (laughs) Yeah, that was his thing. That was his thing. Singing, singing bodies every Friday. And she just kind of she just kind of got used to it. <laughs> I, I love things like that. I mean, that's that that's really what uh, kind of encapsulates uh, a karaoke experience for me. Something something like that that you see. Yeah. Um, so, Mara, uh, we play a game with everybody. Uh, it's our hit me with your best shot. So we're going to ask you five quick fire karaoke related questions. And uh, you don't have to think about it too much. Just whatever comes up, you know, to the top of your head. That's that's the best answer you can give. So are, are you okay. ready to play? Yes, I am. Fantastic. So following off of that one, what's the best thing 
you've ever seen at karaoke? Oh, uh, probably the, the Motown cafe performances. Um, that, that one was pretty good too. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, probably, probably between, but I would have to say it was probably between those two performances. <laughs> I don't think you can go wrong with either one of those, honestly, but speaking of going wrong, what's the worst thing you've seen at karaoke? Oh, I saw a guy pick this song, uh, same old odd Lang Syne, which is like an old song from the seventies that he said his parents really loved and nobody there knew the song and nobody there liked it. And it's incredibly long and it just goes on forever. And he was the only one who knew it. And he was, he just kept defending it by going, well, my parents liked it. My parents liked it. And it's a really depressing song and it's just, and, and yeah, and that everybody just hated him for it. And he felt really bad after. (laughs) What is the one song you would love to do at karaoke that you have never been able to find? Oh, that is a really good question. Um, let's see. Um, I think I have, let me see if I have, uh, probably, let's see. Uh, I, I, I'm looking at my, I'm looking at my, uh, at my list. Mm-hmm. Um, probably some, there's some like 90s songs that I would really love to do. Oh, Seether by Veruca Salt. That's definitely one. Seether by Veruca Salt. I have that listed on my potential karaoke uh, songs, and yeah, and I've never been able to find it. That's if it's a- any consolation, I'm 90% certain that exists. Uh, yes, but not at the bars that I go to, I guess. It probably wasn't a big, you know, it probably wasn't a big hit in Korea. <laughs> I go to a lot of Koreatown bars. <laughs> that's Yeah, that's a good one. We all have a list. Like, I feel like we all have that list of karaoke. I think I called mine the karaoke hit list of songs I'm just hoping one day to sing. Yeah. There's also Nico Case's cover of Look For Me, I'll Be Around, which I, I used to sing for auditions and stuff. And it's it's so bitter and beautiful. Um, yeah. Definitely. I'm going to have to check that one out. Um, So let's say you're in a brand new trace place when you're traveling. You go and find the local karaoke haunt, um, but there's only time to sing one song. What's what's, what's your go-to karaoke song? Um, it depends on what the what the uh, audience is. Are they it depends on whether they're accepting or if they're if they're, you know, a slightly more not uptight atmosphere. But if it's if it's a little bit more conservative or conventional, I would probably do either. um you know, I would probably do, uh, let's see, I would probably do Dream a Little Dream of Me or like um, Faith by by George Michael or something like that. Uh, if it's if it's if the group skews gay, I will do Dancing on My Own or Toxic, <laughs> um, Dancing on My Own by Robin or Toxic. Um, if it's musical theater, I'll do I'll do When You're Good to Mama, oh. or um, or uh, if it's weird musical theater, I'll do Unworthy of Your Love from Assassins. <laughs> but but honestly, honestly, my my song is the Divinals Touch Myself. But you have to make sure that this is an accepting crowd and they are willing to let you be like like make it six like sexy in a very ridiculous way. You have to. That is that is one of my songs. Um, that is that is like my song. But I've also found that it's very embarrassing often to do in front of strangers. So if there's a lot of people I know, and pe- especially if people will like, like I ha- I've had friends like like join in on it with me, and like you know they'll they'll get down on their knees when she says she'll get down on her knees, and you know, and everybody sings along, and uh, and yeah, if we can have fun with it, that's definitely the one. If it makes you feel any better, Adam and I once did a striptease to write said Fred's I'm Too Sexy. So we Amazing. Feel- Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you could magically strike one song from every karaoke playlist forever, what song would you choose? Don't Stop Believing. Ooh. Fantastic. I hate that song. Don't Stop Believing. Everybody does it every single time, and I always go to the bathroom during it. 
Um, I'm coming up on, I'm, I've been watching The Sopranos now, and, and that is what I am not looking forward to about that ending, is I know fucking Don't Stop Believing is going to come up. Another one, I, you know, it's interesting. I think there are a bunch of, I'm not very, I'm not making these rapid fire, am I? Uh, you're, I you're a lot of, if you're, if you're an alto, there are a lot of songs that, uh, that are like the standard alto karaoke playlist. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's Fiona Apple's Criminal. It's, uh, sometimes it's Shadow Boxer. Um, and, uh, what else? And there's a lot of Amy Winehouse, Valerie, you get that a lot, but I don't like when people do back to black because it's too sad. Even though I love Amy Winehouse, I'm like, please do tears dry on their own, or at least a bittersweet song and not just a sad and bitter song. Cause when somebody does back to black, I'm just like, this is so sad. You guys, <laughs> this is so sad. Yes. Yeah. Those, those like types of songs will definitely drag down a night. And I just need to like jump right back into question four real quick. You said uh, unworthy of your love by assassins. And that just hit me right in the feels because that is a musical. I talk about all the time to people yes. like, and like, if you're going to listen to Sondheim, forget everything else. You should listen to assassins. It's, I like, love assassins. I, yes. Yes. So I just needed to just gush at finally somebody recognizing the brilliance of assassins. Uh, I love assassins. Yes. Someday we're going to have somebody on this podcast who absolutely loves Cole Porter as much as I do. And then I'll. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mara, that was so great. You did, you did great. Those are, were all some of the best rapid fire responses we've had. You hit all, you. the nail on the head. You did amazing. Uh, we have a fire away section. So if you'd like, you could ask Ed and I uh, any question you like. And we solemnly swear that we'll answer it. Honestly, yeah, karaoke related is preferred, but if it's not, well, eh. It's okay. Let's see. Um, let's see. It's it's funny that it's it's. I, I love the titles of this because because hit me with your best shot is also a great karaoke song. Um, let's see. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to think. Do you so? Do you guys prefer you prefer in front of an audience and not in a room? For me, without a question, yes. Um, I not only do I prefer an audience, I, I kind of prefer an audience of people I don't know at all. Yes. Because. I think if you see somebody who looks like me get up on stage and do the kind of things that I'll do, um, it's, it's always unexpected. Like people what, what do you do that is? Um, I do a really good shaggy impression. I do a lot of 80s hip hop because it's the music I grew up with. And then I'll switch to Bing Crosby. Um, nice. I like to be somebody that, that doesn't get categorized by like genre or expectation. So I really like surprising people with that. I once, uh, I once was in a bar in Florida and got roped into accidentally doing a mashup of Shaggy's Angel and Michael Bublé's cover of I'm Feeling Good because they <laughs> played both at the same time by accident. And I'm like, wow, I'll, I'll roll with it. I'll, I'll figure it out. I once did uh, I once did karaoke uh, in front of a group of uh, psychologists and psychiatrists because I, I'm a mental health activist. And so like I've done I did I did one at a big event. I sang You Are So Vain in front of them and it was a bunch of like drunk drunk psychiatrists and psychologists just loving it it was it was that was really fun i've also surprised people by doing sabotage and uh, i've never done I, I feel weird about like doing rap songs but one of my friends says that his favorite memory of me is somebody did fight the power at um at karaoke and i didn't sing it but i knew every word and i was mouthing along <laughs> silently <laughs> by myself so yeah yeah, uh, one of Ed and I's magic tricks is, like, for defying expectations is when we're together, uh, we can do run DMCs. It's tricky uh, really, really, really well. And it's just, that was cultivated over the course of, like, eight or nine years of doing that song together where we've, like, know all the intricacies and back and forth. So that's always a good one to 
to shock and all people. But I'll take kind of the opposite approach because I, I was stationed in Japan for a little like for three years with the Navy. So I'm I prefer I love karaoke in Japan uh, and I can yeah. go either in public or the private rooms because the public is literally any bar you walk into. It's karaoke. Yeah. Right? They have the machine back there. You give them the yen and, you know, you get to perform and it's normally pretty. Uh, my favorite memory is still I remember I was in a bar in Japan and. Uh, it was a Lincoln Park song where I had a Japanese gentleman who like didn't speak a lick of lick of English, seeing if they could find somebody to do like the rap parts of Lincoln Park, and he yeah. just went into crawling in the deep in like the pitch perfect voice, like in English, and it was just amazing. One of those like culturally had to be there things, and only a karaoke could it happen. So I'll roll with that as far as like my favorite to go. But yeah, I know like I know like and and like a lot of Japanese drinking culture is basically just about having fun. I feel like whereas like in a lot of other countries it's like people get drunk and fight, but there it's like people get drunk and have fun. <laughs> it seems to be kind of a cultural thing and yeah, and so that's kind of where where karaoke comes from. I I want to go back to Japan really badly. Uh, I haven't been since I was 7 and uh yeah, I would love to do karaoke there. Yeah, it's it's a blast, and like they all are, like every everybody's so into it. It's always welcoming, and it's never like you're infringing on the night by singing karaoke. You know, like like the feel you get at some places in the states. Did you ever have an experience where you weren't sure if an audience would like something and they did, or times when you thought an audience would love something and they did not? <laughs> there have been times where there were songs that I just absolutely thought would go over really well by reading the crowd, like the median age, the style. And, mm -hmm. you know, just absolute blank faces. I mean, that's that's definitely happened. Yeah, um, that's like and, and that kind of comes back to storytelling, I think, like with storytelling, sometimes it's really hard to gauge the audience. You don't know because they don't laugh the way that people, you know, laugh at a stand up comedian. And and so you, you kind of have to and, and sometimes they'll react to it. Sometimes they'll do, you know, if it's a very reactive audience, they'll they'll be excited and they'll cheer things on. But then there's also times when um when it's not uh when when you kind of can't tell one way or the other how they're reacting until like the very end you know and and that and that can be you know and that can be really hard there's uh i remember what was it i did i did sabotage at like a work meeting once sabotage by the beastie boys and one of my coworkers just sat there shaking his head the whole time <laughs> yeah and then he got up and he did um what did he do I think he did, he did a, uh, yeah, I think he did like a Biggie song or he did something and he was really good. And, and I was just like, oh man. And I never found out what about it he objected to, but I just felt really embarrassed. <laughs> actually, I actually thought of another one that I specifically want to share because like the bar that I go to the most frequently, um, you know, in the normal times is this divey bar in a college town. And sometimes it's dead and sometimes it's really packed. And uh, when it was like just the people I knew and it was very, you know, quiet, I was like, oh, this is a good chance to sing Fiddler on the Roof. So I'm going to do it oh. if I were a rich man. And then like 40 kids walked in and I'm like, well, I'm still I, I'm committed. I'm going to do it. They weren't <laughs> they were not a fan of my Fiddler. <laughs> I would have been a fan of your Fiddler because I love Fiddler on the Roof. So just... I know Fiddler is great. Yeah. Fiddler is another one of those things, kind of like my big fat Greek wedding where where a lot of people really like it. And I, re I remember my brother being like, well, we're Jewish. We get why we like it. But why do other people like it so much? But I think that everybody, you know, a lot of people to this country probably have stories about, you know, probably everybody but, you know, Native Americans have stories about like moving 
Although unfortunately, they probably have a lot of stories about being forced to move too. Uh, everybody has stories about like having to move away from their hometown, having to give up their traditions, having to to change. And, you know, everybody can relate to that. But apparently not teenagers and <laughs> college students in a college town. They will in a few years, but not right now. That's what I was going to say. They're going to grow into it. That's for sure. Uh, that's all we have for you, Mara. Uh, I actually want to hand the floor to you. If you have any upcoming projects that you want people to check out, if there's any causes you want to advocate for, any social media you want to drop, uh, the floor is completely yours. Feel free to use it however you like. Oh, okay. Well, you can find my writing at mara.substack.com. I am less on Twitter these days, but I'm still on Twitter, uh, at Mara Wilson and at Mara Wilson on Instagram. Um, uh, I do a lot of mutual aid stuff for people in my community. So you can go to tinyurl.com slash unhoused Los Feliz. That's L-O-S-F-E-L-I-Z. And uh, support me and my friends making sure that the unhoused people in our community get PPE and, you know, water and food. And so won't get dehydrated or sick, uh, you know, during this time. They can get their vaccines and things like that. And also uh, go to tinyurl.com slash unhoused LA to also help uh, some of my friends uh, serve lunch and get PPE to people who need it. Yeah, otherwise, otherwise, I'm just kind of waiting. Uh, there's a lot of hurry up and wait with product projects right now. So I'm sort of waiting to see. I don't really have anything that I can actively talk about. But I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. That take Just act now. Go ahead and act now. That's what, yeah. Get out there and do it. Mara, thank you so much for doing this again. It's been such a, a sincere joy and pleasure to talk to you and hearing you storytelling and your perspective of karaoke. And like, gosh darn it, it's just been so nice. Thank you. Thank you. This has been. This has been a thoroughly nice experience. <laughs> Thanks again. And, and hopefully we'll see you singing at a screen sometime soon. From the depths of the internet for your listening pleasure, here's Mara Wilson singing Britney Spears' Toxic.
listeners, we'd like to thank each and every one of you and hope that we're not toxic on your ear ear cavities whenever we talk about karaoke. I don't think we are because you keep tuning in for some reason. So I like to think we're not toxic and that you appreciate this loose tie into what you just heard. But anyway, you cut it like we love to hear from you. We love that you keep tuning in. So make sure that you, you know, give us your comments or your questions and give us an email at sungpoorly at gmail.com. Tweet at us. Do the twit thing with at sungpoorly on the twit, the Twitters. Um, leave us a five star review on iTunes or, you know, just tune in and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes or any of those fantastic podcast feeds that you people tune into. I'm kind of tired of thanking Ben Dumb on this. I mean, he gave us the theme song. He gave us the interstitial thing. But I think the, the way I'd really love it is if we would thank him by you guys uh, streaming the Ben Dumb 3 or Ben Dumb and the Deviants or the Marauders on Spotify so we can get some of that sweet, sweet Spotify money. I don't know if there's actually sweet sweet Spotify money. But if there is, I'd like it if he had it. So again, thanks, Ben, for giving us music to play with. We need to ask Ben if you do get sweet, sweet Spotify money, because if that's the case, I'm just going to set the Bendum 3 on repeat on Spotify when I go to work and just let it play all day. So that play count goes up. But I don't know how that works. Maybe Ben does. We're going to have to ask a professional at some point. So in the two weeks where you're playing the Bendum 3 uh, on Spotify, uh, make sure you come back and visit us after you're done with that in two weeks from now when we dive in to the world of musical theater with someone who brings Broadway to the masses. I am very excited for that episode. So and are I, you excited? Man. Yeah. I mean, I, Hell I, yeah. I mean, I know what we're talking about. I never got to experience it, but uh, yeah, should be a fun, should be a fun episode. It's going to be a fun episode. It's going to be something about like something that's completely unique. And we're going to talk to the expert who does it and developed it and created it. So uh, that's it. That's all. There is no more. So until next time, I'm Adam Wainwright. I'm Ed Kennard. And remember that singing off key is still technically singing. (laughs) 